You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. Also, the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Washburn, which I have not been to in a long, long time. Uh, All the way up at the very, very tippy top of Wisconsin. Um, It is closer to Duluth than I think of just about any other... Uh, city we've done thus far literally on the shores of lake superior so espn washburn i'm sorry i haven't made it up there in a while i'll be sure to try to do that at some point in my life i Uh, I think uh i think the like their programming is typically like um libertard or whatever uh during the day and then like after that it's just like live audio of people ice fishing (laughs) i think that's I think that's what they what the ESPN affiliate up there usually focuses on. Not a lot of drive time stuff. Sure, I, yeah, that makes sense. I got to see if I can get some updates up there or something. I, I could probably yeah. do some of those. I might even be able to do those remotely. So I'll have to talk to the good folks at ESPN Washburn. The, the voice you just heard is of my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm fine. I'm uh, man. Uh, we're 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 emergency podcasting effectively, Eric. We just heard this. Uh, earth-shattering news of Shabazz Muhammad getting a um well I don't know if I'd call it a training camp deal because we haven't heard yet if it's partially guaranteed or something like that but um we're hearing from uh Shams and and Matt Velasquez that um Shabazz Muhammad is uh coming back to the Milwaukee Bucks for at least part of the month of October I guess yeah um and uh, and will uh, I guess in the words in Matt's words I believe he said compete for a roster spot which would presumably mean uh, compete with Tyler Zeller who is the only guy who you know uh, Malcolm Brogdon technically I guess also has I think does Brogdon still have a non guaranteed yeah. I'd, I'd have to I I should know this um, not really right I mean Malcolm Brogdon obviously not, not getting waived for Shabazz sure. Muhammad but um, but Tyler Zeller uh, in theory could be waived up until January 10 I guess um, so. Yeah, um, I mean, this is this is the question, right? Like, Shabazz uh, obviously is positionally bringing something different than Tyler Zeller, and there's obviously a, a logjam at the five. So um, I don't know, but what are your thoughts on Shabazz possibly coming back? Um, do you do you foresee this? Do you see him possibly making the roster? Slash, do you think that would be a 
positive thing for the Milwaukee Bucks? Yeah, I was going to say, just to make sure everyone's on the same page, the 13 guaranteed deals are Giannis Bledsoe, Middleton, Henson, Snell, Del Vidova, Maker Wilson-Brown, DiVincenzo, Ilyasova, Lopez, Connaughton. Uh, the non-guarantees are, like you said, Zeller and Brogdon, technically. So really, um, to me, as I tweeted out before, like if it if there's a spot to compete for, it's, it's the Zeller spot. And, uh, I mean, I think what... I guess this all comes back to kind of what we've talked about before in that, I mean, the Bucks have pretty good depth all over the roster. Um, the, you know, maybe before Pat Connaughton signed, you could say, oh, you know, Shabazz might fit in that spot a little bit better. But I don't know. I think I probably prefer Pat Connaughton to Shabazz Muhammad. Uh, and Shabazz Muhammad doesn't really fill that role that we talked about uh a few podcasts back about you know when you look at the Bucks roster maybe there's some combo forward minutes to be had like kind of in that small forward power forward mole like maybe you could find a way to get yourself on the floor there but I mean at, at backup shooting guard is is there really minutes with with everyone that's kind of on that roster already and I mean I would hope Sterling Brown is out in front of a guy like Shabazz Muhammad, and if he is, then that means, I mean, you have Brogdon, you have Snell, you have Middleton. Uh, then on top of that, like, where does Dante DiVincenzo fit in? Then you have Pat Connaughton. Like, I, I just don't know if there's really a spot for Muhammad on the roster. Now, you could say the same thing about Tyler Zeller uh, with the Bucks center rotation, which will largely be, you know, Lopez takes 25 minutes, then Maker and Henson have to figure out what happens with those other 20 to 23 minutes. So is there is there time for Zeller either? So both of them, to me... Plus uh, plus Ursan and maybe yeah. maybe Giannis, right? Like they could obviously also theoretically fit into the center minutes. So yeah, only making it more crowded. Yeah, so in both of their spots, like the one spot I think you could possibly go a little bit deeper on the depth chart is small forward, power forward. So neither of those... Have, I don't think either of them really fit that role. Like to me, Shabazz Muhammad's a shooting guard. Like he's not, he's not. I don't think big enough to be a small forward. Um, and he, you can talk about his minutes a little bit. Um, I know you tweeted about them earlier. Like he played some weird minutes last year, but I don't really see uh, an edge for either of them dictated by the rest of the roster. Like uh, to me, it's just going to be you know who has maybe a better training camp who makes the Bucks feel more comfortable and, you know, who convinces Mike Budenholzer that they deserve to be on the floor and find a way into their rotation. Because uh, I mean, I think rotation minutes are, are pretty difficult to come by at this point. So do I think Shabazz Muhammad should make it over Tyler Zeller? Not particularly. Would I be surprised if Tyler Zeller gets cut in and Shabazz Muhammad instead? Not particularly. Like, uh, I don't know if there's... Uh, I mean, I think the, the difference in Zeller versus Muhammad or Muhammad versus Zeller is going to be negligible when you're looking at uh, the end result of this season and how well the Bucks play. Yeah, I mean, if time... If, if things come down to what Shabazz Muhammad can give you, then you're in a bad spot, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, positionally, I mean, I was, I mean, this is why I always kind of brought up Michael Beasley. I, I 
I believe the Bucks could benefit from having a combo forward added to the roster. You know, a guy who can who could be like a three four yeah. um, that could provide some depth. Uh, you know, even with Giannis at the four and Chris at the three. Um, just another guy there in case you have injuries or, um, you know, especially with Beasley, just thinking about him just being a guy who can, you know, create, get to get buckets for you in, in lineups where, um, you know, especially Giannis isn't on the court. Um, but yeah, I mean, Muhammad's different. I mean, I would definitely disagree. I, I just can't imagine a guy as thick as Muhammad playing shooting guard, but weirdly he played far more shooting guard last year. So you think he's actually forward. a small forward? I mean, why would he be a shooting guard? He's like, 235 or something either 230 or something like that i mean he's he i mean he doesn't shoot so he's not a good shooter so i think he's i mean he's a guy who's i don't know i mean he's like weird but like don't you see your small forwards being longer than that i mean nowadays like i don't know not really i mean i I think i feel like when he was in minnesota people were hoping that he might become like a just a small ball four even um so I, I don't know. I mean, I just I guess maybe I just, I just don't he, see him as a basketball player. That, that's probably yeah. It. No, I think that's the problem. I mean, you look at his. I mean you know act saying like oh he's this or that sort of betrays the fact that well in minnesota he wasn't good anywhere really yeah. um <laughs> you know he played mostly as a small forward um and i guess had his best season um playing mostly as as a small forward um but you know you look at like his on off numbers as rpm i mean he's always been a hollow stats guy right i mean it's it's hard for me to sit here and tell you like oh if you just play him as a small ball four then you'll unlock you know shabazz muhammad's you know true goodness i mean he's a weird player because he's had a couple seasons where he did shoot okay from three um but he's mostly kind of a weird like bully ball again i view him as like a combo forward more than anything but you know, then if he's a bully ball guy, like you probably want him playing against smaller guys. So it's, <laughs> you know, like, so there it's like, well, maybe he should be to try to get him defended by shooting guards. Cause, um, those are the guys he's going to be able to kind of like get going to the basket against and shoot those little like left-handed runners and stuff again. So, and he's a good offensive rebounder for his size. He's just a weird player. <laughs> um, you know, he's kind of like, you know, like a Jabari Parker cautionary tale. Um, you know, a guy who, I mean, he was went, going into UCLA. I mean, he was considered a potential number one overall pick. And then um, obviously that that kind of um, the rug kind of went up from under him and he had kind of a mixed bag season at UCLA. I guess it was 12-13 and then um, ends up slipping to right ahead of Giannis in the first round of the NBA draft that year. Um, so... Yeah, it just kind of has had a weird career. Um, you know, I think certainly he's a guy. I mean, you look at like a guy like Jabari Parker, Michael Beasley, interesting guys to compare to Shabazz because, you know, Beasley and Shabazz both sort of reached a point where people kind of said, you know, well, I no longer care about your pedigree. I don't care that you're, you know, former star high school and, and college players. I, I just don't think you're that good in the NBA anymore or ever. Um, and obviously that's, that's where Shabazz is now. I mean, you know, he... I think what was the rumor that he turned down like a ten million a year offer at sheet? I think before yep. was it two summers ago? I think. Um, so the fact that he's now like last year he basically had to settle for the minimum to go back to Minnesota. Then he gets bought out, comes to Milwaukee, and I mean that's the irony, right? Like for a guy who has pretty much always killed his team, um, he led the Bucks in net on off rating. <laughs> he led the Bucks in per. He led the Bucks in points per minute. Um, but he did that in 117 minutes and, and he did that, you know, his, his distribution of minutes positionally were shooting guard, 29%, small forward, 68%, power forward, 4%. Um, and the weirdest thing was like how many minutes he saw with Jabari and Giannis, which to me, was just like, 
he's the guy who should be plugging in when those guys are off the court, not playing with them. Just so weird. And the fact that, you know, the Bucks were successful in those lineups um, just, I think, sort of speaks to the randomness of lineups over small samples more than anything. Because, you know, again, I mean, give him credit. Like, I mean, what the heck more do you want from Shabazz Muhammad? Like, I dogged yeah. that, that, that signing last year based on all the history up until that point. But, I mean... You couldn't really have asked for the guy to do much more in terms of effectiveness once he actually was on the team. And, um, you know, he even had that brief run in, in Boston. And uh, I forget which playoff game it was. Was that game five, maybe? Yeah. Or game, was that game seven? I, I can't even remember which game it was. He definitely played um, in seven. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think he might I think have played it, in five, too. Yeah, maybe it was game seven where he had that, like, you know, it was like Joe Prenti doing his, like, random player, you know, random rotation yeah. generation thing. Um, and, and he had like a good he had like a good start but then they kept him in there too long and he eventually like shot his way out of his good start but um but yeah i i don't know i mean he's a he's a guy um he's got some offensive talent um i think positionally you could make an argument that he feels more of a need than zeller as, as you were kind of talking about but um you know that also then raises the question of like what position should he actually play <laughs> and i don't know um I, again, I've I've always sort of just assumed that he might eventually be more of a kind of small ball four type guy, like um, kind of like almost like a Thad Young type player. Um, he's a couple Ugh. inches shorter than Thad Young, though, um, and Thad Young is pretty good, and Shabazz Muhammad is not. Um, so uh, that's a that's a pretty big uh, pretty big leap to go from Shabazz to uh, to Thad Young. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a thing. I think. He'll get a shot. Um, you know, he knows. Uh, I, I mean, our, our, my presumption here is, you know, Milt Newton, the Bucks assistant GM, knows him from Minnesota. Um, gave him a shot last year. Obviously, he did pretty much as much as you'd expect. Seemed like a good soldier. You know, I, we didn't hear anything to suggest that he was unhappy with his role. I think he realized that, you know, he's got to fight for any any chance he gets in the NBA at this point. And, um, you know, I think certainly with, with Jabari gone, um, there's a better argument for having a player like positional archetype like this, but I'm not going to say that that's an argument for having Shabazz Muhammad specifically. Cause again, if he's not going to be good, then there's no point. <laughs> there's no point. I don't care. I don't care what position he plays if he's not good. Um, and certainly he's got a lot, he's got a lot to prove, to prove there, but um, I'm sure he'll have a chance to prove it. And, you know, interesting question too. Uh, again, I, I mentioned, it's not like he actually was used as a small ball four. We'll see Mike Budenholzer if he has, you know, better ideas for how to use him. Um, but kind of also like an interesting question. You know, Zeller is the the non guaranteed contract. He was who could lose his spot if Shabazz impresses and, and wins a, and wins a shot. Um, but I think it's also an interesting question about DJ Wilson again. Yeah. I mean, is DJ Wilson like a non entity? Is he a guy who? you think could actually compete for minutes at the four um if so then i think that does lessen your need for a guy like shabazz even if they're not exactly the same positionally i mean dj is like five inches taller um but i think they're probably about the same like physical size in terms of strength um and so uh, i don't know it's uh i i probably feel like we've already talked too much about shabazz Muhammad, but i was um, just gonna say if you're gonna ask me that question i'm gonna ask you those two guys that you just mentioned are pretty comfortably the 14th and 15th best player on the roster, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we haven't seen, I haven't seen more than like, you know, 18 seconds of Pat Connaughton in the NBA. So I guess uh, I can't condemn sure. Pat Connaughton to that, to that at this point. I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. So, um, 
yeah, we'll see. Um, hopefully, hopefully Dante Vincenzo is is better than than those guys. We haven't seen him play yeah. either. Um, but uh, but yeah, I know it'll be interesting. To see. I'm I'm very curious if he gets like a partial guarantee or or what kind of structure they gave him in his contract because um, that certainly might also say something about his odds of uh, of making the roster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'll. I mean, all of it will come out in you know in the coming months as we kind of get a better idea of what it all means and what they're looking at but i mean i just think when you think back to last year i mean how many guys did they bring in on training camp deals like veterans like five guys i'm trying to think of who was all on that stage by the end of it right oh like, man like kendall, Bra- Mar- kendall marshall brandon brandon rush um gerald green uh, wait why am i oh uh, gerald greens and then who deandre liggins what was there no, no, DeAndre Liggins got. Remember, oh, yeah, DeAndre yeah, Liggins was back camp. later. Yeah, he was the guy that got that they got that they picked up in lieu of all those yeah. guys, which obviously is not funny. Um, wait, yeah, who's the last guy? I can't even remember. Someone's gonna someone's gonna tweet us, yeah. tweet us, and but like, either way, like, we'll I, I mean, if if this is what happens here with him as a training camp deal, like, would I be shocked if they bring in a number of veterans again? Like, maybe this Joel is, Anthony. There you go. That was it. Um, like I wouldn't be shocked if the Bucks once again like bring in a bunch of guys to you know try to fill out a, a training camp spot. And I mean they've already done that. What like Jordan Barnett the other week got one as well, like a training camp deal. Um, so I do wonder, you know, if we're gonna see. Oh, and Gary Payton the second too. There you go. There you go. Uh, <laughs> what a what a what a bunch on that stage. Um, <laughs> So Gerald I, Green was so much better than all those guys last year, man. Um, it would have been really interesting to see how good Gerald Green would have been in Milwaukee rather than Houston. It'd been terrible. That would have been interesting. He wouldn't have been good at all. Like, <laughs> like what are we talking about? Like, it's very clear that there was like one spot where Gerald Green could thrive, and it's the spot where they say, "Yeah, dude, shoot as many threes as you want. It's totally cool. We don't care." Like, that's the only spot Gerald Green will, like, ever thrive because that's, you know, like, kind of who he is. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that would have gone well in Milwaukee. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. But, uh, again, I wouldn't be shocked if they do bring in a bunch of guys to kind of see what they want to do with that roster spot and, you know, maybe bring in some other veterans and see how it all goes. So we'll keep an eye on that. The other thing we wanted to talk about today, Frank, was – and again, this this Shabazz news is just a, a, sh- a shocker to us. So it's kind of throwing us off. But um, the other thing that we wanted to check on was the Bucks schedule came out. We didn't get a chance to talk about it on Monday because obviously we talked Mission Impossible for uh, an irresponsible amount of time. Um, So we did that, and then we didn't record anything on Friday. So all of this came out on Friday. And I guess for a schedule, um, it's a schedule. It has 82 games on it. Uh, 41 are home, 41 are away. And... uh, I guess these are these are my favorite jokes. You're stealing all my favorite uh, schedule jokes, man. I mean, like, there's just I don't know. Like, there's obviously some stuff to kind of talk about, but you know, like you knew what you were getting going into it. Um, the only thing, I guess, some talking points from it, uh, just that the Bucks don't have the season opener as the home opener of the new arena. 
Um, that was a little bit surprising to me, um, just because I would have thought, you know, you try to make that a big deal. But instead of a Wednesday night game, you get a Friday night game to open it up against the Indiana Pacers, which I think should be a really exciting kind of, I mean, that's just a huge game. Like you get a Friday night game, you get, uh, you get to have that moment, I just think is is kind of huge and should end up being just a, a big event. Uh, and then the only reason I was thinking it, you know, might not end up being the home opener going in was I had saw the national TV schedule and saw that the Bucks didn't have any national TV games in that first week. So I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll try to do that. They get their first national TV game on ESPN uh, the following Wednesday. So uh, that will be, I mean, kind of the spot where everyone gets to see the new arena and it gets to be exciting and have your national tv audience and show all of that off so that'll be against the sixers on wednesday october 24th speaking of national tv uh the bucks get the seventh most national tv games and in the past i think even last year a majority of the bucks national tv games were nba tv games um i think 10 of their wah, wah. 10 of their 16 last year i believe it was uh that is not the case this year they have um i think what is it 18 17 or 18 national tv games and that's not including nba tv that's espn tnt uh and then they even have an AS- abc uh game as well which i mean i'm trying to think of the last time that they've been on a on a national, and again, I know like TNT or ESPN are national, but one of the major broadcasting channels. Uh, so they get an ABC game this year. Um, I think uh, probably the proper amount of respect shown to the Bucks uh, as far as national TV goes. Did you feel like they deserved more or less? What do you? Where were you? Ha- where was your head at there? Uh, I mean, the numbers are so much higher than what we're used to seeing that it was like, oh, okay, that's nice. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm out of state, but I have league pass, so I I really couldn't care less about <laughs> kind of, especially NBA TV games. I mean, I, I, if you could tell me they have zero NBA TV games, I'd be thrilled because especially if that means that we don't get any of those players only broadcasts, and thank <laughs> thank God. Um, so I'm I'm all for like minimizing NBA TV games. Um, I feel like it just makes it harder to watch them. I can't you can't stream them on the NBA TV or the NBA app yep. if they're on NBA TV. It's just, and a lot of people don't have NBA TV because you have to, you know, I do, but you have a lot of a lot of other people, you know, you need this, the special cable package to get it. So I think NBA TV is like, I don't know. What's your least favorite, um, like, chain restaurant, Eric? My least favorite chain restaurant. Yeah, I was just trying to hmm. think of, like, what's what's a terrible chain restaurant? Applebee's, um, maybe? Applebee's, okay. Um, sorry to anyone who likes Applebee's, but it's like it's like if your friends say, hey, we're going to take you out for... For your birthday, we're gonna go out to dinner, and then it's like at Applebee's. It's like mm. well, I don't, don't, no, don't, don't take me out. Like this isn't an occasion, um, and that's like what getting NBA TV. It's like hey, national TV. It's like oh, all right, what are we doing? And freaking NBA TV. Here's you know, Greg Anthony and Nate Robinson broadcasting a game like from a, a, a studio in uh, in uh, in Atlanta. It's like great thanks awesome <laughs> exactly and then they're going to do those cutaway shots of them in the studio while uh, the game is not full screen it's uh, like oh okay so you're gonna you, so what you're doing from a production standpoint is you're underscoring that you don't have people at this game 
and forcing me to share some of the screen with where these guys are sitting in a studio rather than showing me the game. That great, awesome, thanks, guys. Perfect. Nothing infuriates right. me more than that. If you ever have an interview, if you yeah. ever have a broadcast, do Ugh. not put it on the screen. Summer league is I, the worst. I know what people talking looks like. You don't need to show me it. I understand. My brain can comprehend that a game is being played and a group of people are broadcasting it at the exact same time. I do not need to see it. Sorry. Yeah, I, I don't even know, man. It's um, uh, it's it's just who's teaching that? It, who's what? What school is teaching that in in broadcasting school? I want to talk know, to you know, all of them. You know what else I hate? Um, people feeling like they can't just show the regular camera angle for free throws. Like when they show the like low baseline <laughs> camera angle or the overhead above the backboard, you know, robot yes. camera for free throws. It's like this. Like, don't I mean, no, I don't want to do like I'm not going to like hang myself upside down to like watch a game. Like, I don't need these weird camera angles. Like, just forget it. Just give me a regular (laughs) sideline free throw angle. I can actually read the flight of the ball so much better from that than than anything else. Um, Although random aside, totally random aside. Sure. Let me ask you this question. It's August. And I know I know we have some we have some soccer fans that listen to us for the life of me. I don't understand, and I've seen it occasionally in the past, but not in this year's World Cup. Um, and I don't know if even in like recent tournaments where there's been penalty kicks that I've seen this. Why do they show penalty kicks from the same angle as the regular game? Like, why don't they show us the behind the kicker camera angle? It like, would, it, it's so much harder to like t- read the ball's travel and like tell like how like they'll. Like, I swear to God, I don't think I'm just blind. Like. Guys will sometimes shoot the ball up the middle, and I can't really tell if you went to a corner or the side until I see a replay. It's just like, show me the kicker angle, like the freaking behind the the kicker angle. It's way easier to tell what's happening. <laughs> it's it's infuriating because I know that they have, um, like I know that they have people there. Like I know that they have cameramen that could actively just like walk into the field of play and be behind the person taking the penalty kick like they could do that i know they could there's no other action going on like there's no fear of you getting ran over why wouldn't you do that like i uh, i I agree and especially like if there's uh like a panenka and yeah like the the announcer's like oh my gosh i can't believe it and you're like i have no idea what happened i was watching from the side so i don't know that he just fooled the the keeper and made him look like an idiot like i don't get to i don't get to see that because you are showing me a terrible camera angle so yes i'm with you frank and for those who are not familiar with what a paninka is um i believe it was a i believe he was a czech soccer player who I guess was the first or popularized the idea of um, instead of just trying to kick it really hard to one corner or the other, uh, he just like delicately chipped it right down the middle, relying on the goalie to dive. And so basically the goalie just looks like an idiot. It is the ballsiest <laughs> so way to take a penalty. Um, and But if it doesn't work, if the guy doesn't bite, then you look he like just catches total... It. Like- yeah, you, you look really, like, I mean, if, if he just, it looks like you or I could have taken a better penalty if it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so I don't. I don't know what else I have. I think the only things also I would say about the schedule, um, I thought it was interesting. I think the what the Bucks get the Sixers and Celtics only three times, yep. um, which is interesting because those are you know two of the best three teams in the conference. And you know every year, what they're three teams that you only play three times in your own conference. I think um, so. It's 
you know, probably fortuitous that they get um, two of those teams be be very good teams. Um, and thirteen back to backs for the know. Bucks. Um, I, I think. It's interesting that their final two of the season do happen in like the final two weeks of the season, which isn't ideal. Like you don't want to have back to backs in that stretch because you know you could be playing very important games. But those two back to backs are um, a road and road, so it'd be in Atlanta and then in Brooklyn, and then a home and home, or both of them would be at home with the Nets and the Hawks again. Which I mean, if you're if you're putting back-to-backs in the final two weeks of your schedule, having the Hawks be involved in both of them probably isn't the worst thing. And, and Brooklyn's pro- is probably going to be improved this year, but I, I would still assume probably on the outside looking in in the Eastern playoff race. And uh, you know, if you're if you're Sean Marks, you're probably trying to maximize your uh, draft capital. Um, you're, you're trying to find a way to maybe lose some games there. So the fact that the Bucks have, I think it's one, two, it's four of their final six against the Hawks and the Nets, like could end up helping because I think when you think about where the Bucks are going to be and you think about the Eastern Conference, I mean that four spot is probably going to be somewhere where you, that three or three and four is probably where you're going to be like dying to get to. Um, and especially if the Celtics have a really good year, maybe you don't even want to get to that four spot. Like you're really going to need to pile up some wins late to get to the spots that you need. Um, and having some winnable games in the final six, you go at Atlanta, at Brooklyn, at Philly, then home for Brooklyn, home for Atlanta, and home for OKC, um, which, I mean, that's a hotly contested game, I would have to assume, because I would guess the Thunder are going to be fighting for playoff position. Maybe the Bucks will be as well. Um, but I, I think maybe a little bit of a, of a favorable end there to the season uh, as far as opponents go. But, I mean... I think it's always a bit of a fool's errand to try to guess through, oh, is this a tough part of the schedule? Is this an easy part of the schedule? Because I think last year there was spots where I'm trying to think who it was like, oh, they'll have, or like just think about like the Pacers and the Hornets. Like last year before the season, you've been like, oh, Pacers, that's probably one you can chalk up as a win. Hornets, ooh, that's going to be a tough game. They've, you know, were improving last year. Like they could be good again this year. And, well, it kind of went the opposite way. The Bucks, uh, did they beat them once without Giannis and then just barely lose the other one? Like there, there was times where the Horns were putting up terrible games. So I think there's a, a lot of guessing done at this point. Uh, if you do try to project five months out, six months out, uh, you're going to find yourself in in a kind of a tough spot. So I, I don't know. Is there really anything else you you think about? Uh, when you're looking at a schedule, I mean, maybe West Coast road trips. I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I I did look through uh, Jared Dubin, um, friend of the pod, um, was uh, put together. He always puts together like stats around uh, schedules every year, and um, I think he his uh, his numbers had the Bucks. I think the hardest month the Bucks had was the first month. I think that was the only remotely difficult month um, from you know, strength of schedule. I think he was using like uh, Vegas over unders to kind of like estimate opponent strength. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And, and I think overall he had the bucks at like 27th in terms of, um, strength of schedule. Yeah. Uh, and if you're thinking like, wow, that, that's really, that's, Oh man, that's a big advantage. Well, I mean, there's a couple of reasons for it. One, the bucks are in the East. So their opponent strength of schedule is always going to be relatively 
you know, lower than than a similar team in the West. And the other piece is the Bucks are one of the better teams in the East. So, um, you know, it it just sort of works out that way. The best team in the East is going to have the easiest strength of schedule because they're in the East and they're the best team and they don't have to play themselves. That's that's basically <laughs> the logic. Yeah. Um, there isn't necessarily a huge gradient or gradation beyond that, um, but it, it did seem like you know from a, just a, a, a opponent strength of schedule perspective. Um, yeah, the Bucks don't have any, it seems like the first month might be the hardest in theory, but there's not like a lot of like killer, um, killer months. It seems like for the Bucks. So we'll see. Um, obviously the, the Vegas over-unders are not, you know, what, what actually happens on the court. Um, they're just numbers at this point and, you know, there's probably as good a guess as we've got, but, um, but we'll see how, uh, how that evolves. So I was gonna say the, um, the one thing with, did the Bucks have one West coast road trip last year? I'm trying to think if there was like two like legitimate or cause this year they do have like two legitimate ish, uh, West coast roadies where they go in November, Portland, golden state, uh, to the Clippers and then Denver. And then they have another one, uh, right after the all-star break where they go Sacramento, Los Angeles, Utah, Phoenix. And I'm trying to think, I feel like some years, maybe you get like six of those knocked out at a time and instead of four and four, I think, but, I think you pretty, I don't yeah, know. I, th- I think last year they had, they had two. I want to say the first one had the Portland and Sacramento wins, I want to say, on it. Mm-hmm. And I think the second one had um, had that Clippers game and the Lakers game. The Jazz fight? The like Golden the Giannis Sweeney fight? I don't well, know. that was earlier in the year. I think that was earlier in the year, wasn't it? Uh, that was right after the All-Star break, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. Um, and man, the West Coast road trips are so hard to predict. Like the last couple of years, they've had like some randomly really good West Coast road trips. So uh, I don't know, whatever. It's uh, you're gonna have to play the teams at some point. So. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I think schedule guessing is largely a fool's errand. So we won't try to do much more of it. If you had some things you really we, wanted we us, say, we say as we say as we finish a podcast that talk <laughs> primarily about Shabazz <laughs> Muhammad and schedules. <laughs> Oh yeah, really might, fo- following might, our own words, aren't we? Yeah, um, exactly. This is pretty much like the definition of a fool's errand podcast. But you know, <laughs> this is that we had to indulge the Bucks talk tonight after indulging ourselves with all that Mission Impossible talk sure. the other day. By the way, we were recording a little late tonight because I rewatched Mission Impossible three since I hadn't seen it in a long mm-hmm. time. Um, and very enjoyable. Totally, totally agree um, about Philip Seymour Hoffman being. I think it's the best villain. The best. The best Bond, yeah, by far. One of the better, just general sort of like spy movie villains we've had. Um, he's just, I mean, he's a he was a great actor, obviously, and um, the, I mean, I don't know, yeah, he he was just really good. I mean, I don't even know how much screen time he has in this movie, but um, he's just pure he has just evil. Like he just embodies yeah, he has, evil. Yeah, he has a few scenes with with Tom Cruise that are just like he, man, he's a serious. <laughs> bad dude um and he he really sells it even though you know i don't know you don't you like i think of philip seymour off my first thought is of the gif of him playing uh playing Raymond. basketball yeah <laughs> in what what uh what, what ben along, came was that? Uh, along came polly yeah so can't can't argue with uh with philip seymour hoffman's range <laughs> um as an actor not as a sh- um but uh but yeah i i really enjoyed it um reminded me uh i i couldn't remember a lot of what happened in that movie i'd forgotten that that um 
Simon Pegg actually is in that movie. So he's been in the last four, although he's kind of in a marginal role. He's, he's not part of the, the on-site team yet in yes, that one. So. But that was why I graded three higher, because I find the introduction of Simon Pegg, Benji, uh, so important. That was why I had three a little bit higher on my list. Uh, but that's I, okay. I had forgotten about that. They have helicopter chases in that too, but it's kind of funny watching the helicopter chases yeah. in that movie. Uh, they're just like, they're so budget compared to mm-hmm. what we saw in, in, in Fallout. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, it's still a good movie. Um, kind of probably paved the way for Carrie Russell to go from Felicity to the Americans, which seven is a good thing. years, Frank, um, the last time I watched mission impossible three, I looked up how long it took for her to get that role to get the Americans seven years who yeah. didn't see her in that and think that's a badass action star. Let's put Carrie Russell in everything because I love the Americans and she's fantastic in it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we've, we've now successfully managed to, I let's see, I've seen in the last month, I've seen fallout twice. I've seen, Mission Impossible 1, I've seen Mission Impossible 3. Um, I haven't seen 2, 4, or 5 in the last month, although I feel like I've seen I've seen 5 somewhat. I don't know. I, may, I might want to watch, rewatch 4 and 5 in the near future just because they're, they're both really good. And I've seen 3, um, 4, 5, and 6 in the last month. I, I, haven't nice. seen, I haven't seen one and two in a little while, so I, I should go back and revisit those. All right, uh, that's going to be it for us for today. Um, we have been sitting on our pickup game for a while now. Uh, we were going to do it tonight, and then, well, stuff happened, so we, we did something else. But uh, that is still in our back pocket. That could still be coming at some point this summer. But for today, that is going to be it for us. For Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you later.